This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 225. I've invited one of my favorite past show guests back for another chat, and that is Dr. Jade Teeter. He hates being called a doctor, uh, but uh, we're talking about uh, not just his book called Next Level Human. We really don't talk about the book that much at all, but what the concept of being a next level human is in today's world as well as a base and a culture level human. And we talk about each of those, not as a progression where you uh, have to be uh, always trying to be the next level human, but how in the human experience, we kind of dip through and into each of them as we may strive to be next level humans. Jade is going to explain it all. We actually start a really interesting, in a really interesting topic uh, that I caught Jade talking about the other day on his awesome Instagram. Uh, if you're not, if you're not following Jade there already, I highly recommend. He's always sharing his wonderful deep thoughts across a broad range of topics from exercise, fitness, metabolism, to uh, helping break down the latest studies in all sorts of things, even masks, a highly controversial topic these days. But he's very objective, really just shows uh, how he arrives at uh, the truth of the matter, how he accepts grey area, makes him one of my favourite people probably for that reason because I'm such a grey area thinker myself. Um, and uh, and so on his Instagram the other day I saw he was walking in the forest and I was like, oh, what's Jade talking about today? And he was actually talking about the, difference, the different ways, not that we move and eat necessarily, but the different ways that we rest and how that impacts our metabolic health. It was super fascinating and I would definitely uh, encourage that you start at the very beginning of this show today because that's where we start and I was absolutely blown away by how high a percentage the impact of how we rest, I'm not talking about sleep, it will be explained, um, impacts our overall metabolic health. Super, super interesting stuff. But today we're talking about next level human, as I said, and uh, really having quite a philosophical discussion. Jade and I chat quite often on um, uh, email, PMs, etc. Uh, because we're both grey area thinkers and uh, in a time where there seems to be this huge pull towards setting yourself up in one particular camp and then hating on everybody else that isn't in that camp, it's not something that I gravitate towards or that sits well with me personally. I know that a lot of low toxes are the same. Um, It helps us understand why people do that in today's show. And how sometimes we actually feel torn between rising above that and uh, getting sucked into it ourselves. And uh, we also talk about how, what kind of process Jade has for analyzing information. We share a couple of really interesting news resources. It's a super interesting show. So if you have felt triggered by anything in this past year, and boy, has there been enough to be triggered by, 
Uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a really interesting show for you. I doubt that anyone would a hundred percent agree with, uh, Jade on everything he says, but what we are actually talking about in today's show is the very, uh, health, the very healthy way in which we can have evolving beliefs, uh, as we bring new information into light. And I, he even says this towards the end of our chat. He's like, now some of you may have been really triggered by something I just said. And I was like, yeah, I was super triggered by the, uh, statement that, um, everything that Bill Gates does for the world is wonderful, uh, because I've been studying regenerative agriculture for a long time now, even writing a book about it. And, uh, his call for the Western world developed nations to move to synthetic beef, uh, really is not a good plan. Um, Uh, so (laughs) I was like, no way. So today is not necessarily about here is what you have to think and believe. It is about all of us starting to respectfully and decently, uh, find where we overlap, be interested and curious in our differences and accept that beliefs are fluid as new information comes to light. Now, it is very complicated how we assess new information now with social media and how much information we have to come into contact with, but I am always a firm believer that rather than the shiny and new, uh, we need to gravitate towards what's good and true. And if we keep just really understanding what that looks like, what it feels like, uh, and and, and how we can be uh, respectful on different people's journeys towards that, then we're going to be a much more peaceful uh, and happy world. So good luck out there, folks. Be brave uh, and listen to the end. Don't just stop because oh, I disagree with that. I'm going to stop listening to what he has to say. I think it just gets more and more interesting, this conversation, as it goes on. So I'm going to leave it there, a little bit cryptic. Maybe you have absolutely no idea what to expect, but uh, one of my favorite conversations lately, so dive right in. But of course, before you do, it is a new month. Uh, Today, I'm super excited because we're launching the next round of Go Low Talks. So if you are a newbie to all things Low Talks and you're hearing that this week, the, the course has gone live, please jump in. It's not too late. You can jump in anytime this week. Uh, it is only $189 Australian to get the lifetime access. We have 45 interviews, 22 incredible topics to help you reduce toxins across every aspect of your daily life. This only comes around as an opportunity twice a year. So if you are ever confused, and I know a lot of people are confused, I get so many questions, but one person can't answer every single person's DMs. Much easier if we do a group learning setting and I coach you for five weeks solid and you see all the different questions and how I answer them inside the group. Uh, It's a really great way to go low tox in an empowered setting Uh, and ditch all of your confusion and start to actually move forward really rapidly. So I invite you to do that. You just head to lowtoxlife.com, you hit the courses tab, and you'll see Go Low Tox right up there up top. Uh, And then, of course, my final and possibly most wonderful thing to say up until this point, well... Um, well, I think it's really exciting is that one of my absolute favorite pioneering low tox brands, Walida, is celebrating a hundred years of existence this year. 
And that means, especially because it's a new month, you have a special offer. So you have 15% off the entire Walita range, but not just that, you have a bonus skin food, 75 mil, which is worth nearly, uh, I think, 25.95. So 26 bucks, let's call it for all orders over $100. This is to celebrate the 100-year anniversary with this key, beautiful product that first launched back in 1926. So there's a ton of modern low-tox products that simply just buy ingredients off the open market with an organic certification and then mix it all up with a green chemist, whack a label on it and sell it. And sure, I mean, that is low-tox and it's better for our health than a lot of the mainstream options. But the reason why you hear me talk about so few brands and the same brands over and over again is not only the pioneering aspect of uh, some of my favorite brands, but also the breadth and uh, lengths to which they go to, to ensure not only their products are low tox for their customers, but they actually improve the ecological state of the world. They actually fortify and build ecosystems around the world with partner farmers and uh, and uh, restore and build local economies in developing countries. Walida is truly one of the most inspiring companies out there. So this is a fantastic, uh, fantastic offer. Your code is Walida100. This is just for the Aussies. It's 15% off the entire Walida range with your bonus skin food, 75 mil for free if you spend over $100. So stock up on a few of your favorites. Try a few things you maybe haven't tried. I've put a few of my favorites in the show notes uh, and away we go. So this is your opportunity to make the most of this beautiful 100-year-old company. Uh, I actually write about Rudolf Steiner in my next book because not only is he one of the three founders of Walida, but he also is the father of biodynamic agriculture uh, and an absolute rock star, and not to mention the um, educational system, Steiner. So that man was busy. <laughs> uh, he got a lot done in his life. So enjoy that. And uh, now I'm going to head into the wonderful interview with Dr. Jade Teeter. Enjoy. Hello, Jade. How you doing? Alex, good to be back. Nice to see you, my friend. Nice to see you too. And I'm really excited to have you on the show. Uh, I saw you going for a walk the other day and you were telling people some very wise things. Tell me about the metabolism, weight training, and just gentle walking. Like, why is that so magical for us? It's such, um, it's, it's such an important aspect of who we are as humans. And I'll, I'll take you back a little bit to, um, I call them however you want, however uh, the listener wants to think about it, ancestral human, historical human, paleo human. We humans evolved in a particular sort of reality and our metabolism is uh, tuned to that reality. Think about um, how long we've been um, having uh, light and ACE heating and air conditioning and, you know, modern day convenience and fast food on every corner. It's been, if we took all of human evolution and made it a 24 hour period, we've been um, eating fast food for about half a second. We've been under light conditions for about a second. We've been living this sedentary lifestyle for about a second. And so we are in a position where our metabolism isn't tuned to um, the modern day realities. And one of those things that we often lose sight of is that before we had even animals to ride on, like horses and things like that, 
we humans were built to walk around. This is what we were doing constantly. We were constantly walking and constantly digging and constantly picking and constantly climbing and all of this incidental movement. Now, most people have heard of this, I imagine, if they're savvy at all in the health and fitness world. Um, this is called uh, uh, sort of activities of daily living and the fancy name for it is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. <laughs> this makes up about 15 to 20 percent of our uh, metabolism, whereas exercise is about 5 percent. But wow. here's another interesting thing when you start looking at research on this. And this comes from Herman Ponzer from Duke University and his team over there looking at exactly how do these ancestral paleo human modern day hunter gatherers, what are they actually doing in terms of when we look at how much more activity are they doing? And what are they doing? Is it walking? Is it climbing, et cetera? And they are doing all those things more than us, but they're also doing other things that we don't necessarily consider that add up and make a much bigger difference than we ever thought. And it's the way they rest, actually. And so what they did is they took modern day humans and these ancestral humans and kind of looked at them and compared and said, okay, yeah, they're moving more than us, but they also are resting very differently than us. So when you and I rest, Alex, we sit in a chair, we sit in a couch, we lean against a tree. These people weren't sitting on trunks. They were not leaning on trees. They didn't have chairs and couches. What they do is they kneel or they crouch or they sit cross-legged. And what this does is activate their uh, sort of muscles at a very the light level, but still a constant tonification of the muscles and they're burning calories in these resting states. Not only does it make them extremely mobile and sort of flexible, and uh, but it also adds up big time in terms of the daily energy expenditure. But actually, let me say this, Alex, because this will shock everyone. And actually, what I'm going to say here um, is when I tell you this, uh, and I mentioned this to everyone on the show, you're not going to believe it. And actually it's going to throw you off a little bit. So there'll have to be a little bit of explanation, but it's important here. I feel like when, we need a sound effect. Like a did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is, this will blow your mind in terms of the science of metabolism. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I've been talking a lot about this and it's going to be in my upcoming book, next level metabolism, but oh. most people have no idea about how this works. So even though we've looked at all these various differences between ancestral humans and how much more activity they have in a day, including this resting, and we've even seen stuff like exposure to thermal conditions like cold and heat and stuff like that makes us burn more calories. But at the end of the day, if you have a, a paleolithic woman who weighs, let's say 145 pounds, and you have a modern day woman who had, weighs 145 pounds and they have roughly the same fat and muscle. What you will find is that their total daily energy expenditure is roughly the same. So let me say this again, because it's very confusing. Yes, they're doing way more activity than us. So you would think that it's additive, right? You would say, well, you're both 145 pounds. You, maybe you burn 2000 calories per day at rest. And then if they burn 1000 calories, and that's 3000 calories. And if a modern day woman burns 200 calories, that should be 2200 calories. But the fact is, both of them end up burning 2200 calories. And the reason why is because the way the metabolism works when you're putting size or movement, it down regulates all other movement to constrain 
the resting metabolic rate in a narrow range. And this, the take home here that's so critical is that actually, despite these people doing all this extra movement and resting in different ways and all of this, it's not the movement that leads to weight loss. It's the diet because the movement is constrained. And this makes sense actually from a historical perspective because we wouldn't want a metabolism that's out there in the outback in Australia or you know somewhere in the wilderness and not be able to uh, constrain its metabolic rate because you'd quickly starve and die. And so this is one of these things that when you hear it, it's probably confusing you right now. You're probably like, Jade, what exactly are you saying? But what I'm saying is that when we think about either movement or exercise, it is a horrible way to think about changing the metabolism. The best way to change the metabolism for weight loss is about food intake. Exercise only affects muscle to fat ratios and how healthy our metabolism is, how we manage blood sugars and triglycerides and all that, and how supple and flexible and mobile we are as humans. So it is very important, but we're starting to see it probably has very little to do with weight loss at all. And the other thing that these ancestral humans are doing is community, which I know you and I are going to talk a little bit more about today, but we miss this idea that even though we're talking about metabolism, uh, and you and I had that discussion. One of the other things about humans is we are intimately connected. And so our psychology becomes paramount as we begin to work with other humans and engage with other humans. And so this discussion, I think, is going to go in a direction where we can talk about physical development, which I do. But also, I also work in the realm of self-development. And the two are intricately linked. And I do love the idea of using paleo man and paleo woman as a surrogate marker for both, because just as we evolved to have our metabolism be a certain way, we evolved to communicate a particular way. And we have a lot of data that tells us the best types of humans we can be to thrive. And it's a really interesting uh, sort of science and discussion. Super interesting. And so let me ask you, um, as a multi-passionate and, you know, you go into so many different areas, then you seem to have time to share intricate amounts of uh, detail around studies across so many different types of topics, all the while nurturing your new puppy. Like, how do you focus, find contentedness and peace as a human also as a multi-passionate, because this is something I am as well. So I always am very curious to see how people manage that because so many people are super niche and it often feels so much less complicated. And I often say to myself, why weren't you a super niche person? That would be so much easier. Um, how do you do it? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, it's a one recognition. Um, I'll just kind of say something. I think it, it comes out of, um, the idea that uh, as an entrepreneur, right, versus being someone who's working in a, in a realm for someone else, the entrepreneurial space allows for many different passions, but certain ones work better than others. And I happen to have my passions be um, the things that really sell well. So for example, I am totally interested and have always been interested in um, the way people communicate and have relationships. And of course, you and I know that one of the biggest places online that people spend money is in romance 
and relationships and difficulty with family and all that. Likewise, I'm very much into health and fitness. People want to spend money on that. I'm very much into philosophy and purpose and meaning in these discussions. Well, we all know that uh, people are incredibly passionate about religion and philosophy and psychology and sort of values and politics and all this is a big piece of, you know, sort of discussion. And then the other one that I'm also uh, love is building businesses. And so people are interested in money. So I think in my, my case, I happened to stumble across the, uh, you know, interest that, that sort of uh, do bode well for others. Other people want to learn about this kind of stuff. But the other thing that I think that is probably true of you and me that allows us to use our multi-passionate senses in, um, you know, sort of in a way that maybe some people aren't is that we're both teachers in a sense. And so we both spend our time um, teaching. And I think teachers and communicators oftentimes love to communicate sort of what they have learned. But to answer your question more fully for other people, how can other multi-passionates sort of do this? I think the issue is, is that um, there are two ways to sort of stand out, I think, right? Main ways. Way one is to become the best of the best at something, which is incredibly difficult, right? It's like, you gotta become like an Elon Musk or someone who's incredibly, incredibly good at one thing. Most of us can't do that. I certainly can't do that. However, if we're good at more than one thing, right? We're kind of good. We're not great, but we're good at a couple different things. This starts to set us apart and we can carve out sort of this multi-niche in the ability to teach. And I think that what people need to understand with this is that we're all unique. So Alex is completely unique. There's never been another human like her ever on the planet, nor will there ever be. Same goes for me and same goes for all of you listening. So I think the first recognition is to say, why am I interested in the things that I am interested in? And then two go also, and this is where it gets into being a next level human. I think a next level human wants to grow and evolve the world. And so they want to grow in all their passions. But then what they want to do is they want to say, you know, I'm uniquely passionate. I have these unique interests, these one, two, three, four, five things I'm really good at. And because I'm good at these things, I come at them from a different way because they merge in, a, in an interesting way. They make this sort of intellectual jigsaw puzzle that when you're talking, Alex, you come up with incredible different ways of sayings, maybe some of the same things that I would say because of your unique background and that kind of thing. And so I think that the best way to do that is to own this and then begin to teach or share. So you and I might be teachers, but every human is a sharer. And I think that what we need to begin to do is embrace these multi-passions because I think a lot of people, you know, we, we know a lot of people like this. Some people love to cook and they enjoy cars and they enjoy, you know, um, popular culture and maybe something else. And instead of, you know, maybe they don't like the car thing, they, they feel a little insecure about it so they don't share it as much, but instead they should be looking to share all of these things. And this is how you, um, I think, enjoy this and live a more fulfilled life instead of thinking, well, if I'm not making money at it, then it's not worth sharing. For most people, and I think you and I are lucky, most of what I am interested in and multi-passionate about, I get to make money at. But for most people, so it does fulfill me, give me meaning and purpose and help me make money. But for most people, these interests are, um, their job simply finances their ability to share these things. 
And I think that's how we do it. So I would say everyone is multi-passionate. We should own this and really hone our unique sort of intellectual jigsaw puzzle and then consciously go out and share it with the world. And perhaps this is the very point of these varied interests in the first place. I would say the same thing goes for our pain as humans. You know, then when you add, take those interests and passions and then add on your pain and your people and your superpower and talents and your unique personality. And now we have the makings, the stew of purpose, you know, this unique makeup that makes us humans and makes us different and gives us meaning of why we're on the planet in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that share. And before, when you were talking about uh, a sense of um, helping people arrive at peak performance, not just mentally, uh, and with the philosophical piece and a sense of purpose, but also physically, and they often go together. Uh, I really, really uh, felt that because uh, I, if I had to map a timeline of my life of my ups and downs, the physical and mental ups are always together. <laughs> They're always together at the bottom as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know if you've seen it. Tell me, if, tell me if this is true for you. But one of the things I saw, one of the reasons I started doing more of my self-development work, because I noticed in my physical development work that the people who had this, a certain mindset and a certain way of looking at the world, let's call it purpose-driven individuals, they seem to tie their physical pursuits into their purpose and it became a reason for being fit versus just vanity. You know, I want a six pack or, you know, whatever. They actually wanted to be fit to, to, so they had energy to do their purpose. These are the people who seem to make the greatest changes, not to mention, like you said, physical, uh, you know, sort of pursuits and uh, attacking uh, personal records in the gym, for instance, help us attack personal records out in life. They help us be a little bit more resilient and a little bit more willing to um, dip our toe in the waters of discomfort. And so the two definitely go back and forth. And I think the, the people who merge that know that very deeply. So, I mean, I don't know if you have that same experience or not, but it's certainly true for me. A hundred percent. And I think in modern culture where we have it so darn easy, you know, most of us are privileged enough to be able to just go pick up food whenever we want. We don't have to do anything tough if we don't want to. We can just kick back on the weekends. It's easy, but the whole thing that makes a next level human, and we're just about to talk about what that term is because some people might not have come across your amazing first book. Um, actually, it wasn't your first book, but Next Level Human is a great book, uh, is um, resilience, you know, like feeling that you can push past tough things is definitely a, an element of that and having that belief, um, which actually pushes you beyond what you already experience, know, think and feel. No question about it. And I think that, you know, as we talk about the idea of, you know, next level human, what exactly is this? It really is just someone who puts growth and the pursuit of growth and the pursuit of purpose as their primary drive versus the pursuit of power or popularity or pleasure. Instead, they're pushing purpose. And what exactly is purpose? It's the singular thing that you as a human have and can give and teach to the world that grows you and evolves the world to be better and your desire to want to do that very humbly without need for reciprocation or acknowledgement. This is the idea of a next level human, someone who says, 
I know I'm unique. I also know I'm not that special, but I do have things to share and I'm passionate about sharing them and I will bravely share them without need to be recognized because I know that the world might not get the message anyway. In other words, there's things Alex needs to teach. There's things all of you listening can teach that if you're not teaching it, there's perhaps someone who will not get the message. So our lives are a lot like a stone dropping into a pond that creates this ripple. Long after that stone drops to the bottom of that pond, those ripples are still affecting the water. And so your actions have a ripple effect, even as simple as walking past someone and smiling and saying hello or holding a door or saying, how are you? Or looking someone in the eye and just winking at them or giving them a smile in the eyes. I know we're all wearing masks now, but people feel this energetically. And while they may not show you outwardly that they felt it, how much do we know that when someone does that to us, when we're walking by someone on the street, and they smile at us or we feel a positive vibe from them that we go into the coffee shop or the lunch spot and we pass that on. This is the idea of a next level human, someone who understands that unique energetic exchange between humans and makes it a conscious effort to grow themselves and pass on good vibes and evolve the world as a whole. Ah, I love it. That's certainly what I endeavor to do every day. Um, in your book, you talk about base level, culture level, and next level so that people can kind of know what the scale is, like where we're traveling from and where we're headed to. Yeah. And you can think about base level human, culture level human, and next level human. I know what a lot of people tend to do is we tend to want to set up hierarchies, right? So we kind of want to say next level human is the best and culture level human. And we want to set up this dichotomy of who's better and who's wrong. The truth is, no one is a next level human, right? We're all in process. We have all of these states in us. We're each base level, we're each culture level, and we're each next level. I was going to say, go, yeah, because yeah. I, I feel like we dip into yeah, all of certainly. Them. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly can go base level at times. And I'm sure all of you listening can. And you can think of this from an evolutionary perspective. The first brain or the lizard brain, the primitive brain before you got to the neocortex was a very sort of base level brain. It basically responded to pleasure and danger. It moved towards what was pleasurable and it moved away from danger. And it is based in fear and survival primarily. So when we are operating in our base level self, our major motivator is safety and stability. So we are searching for safety and stability, safety and stability. And our major drive is power. And here's why. If you want to be safe and stable, what is the best way to basically get there is to exercise power over everything, right? So if I'm the most powerful in the room, then I think I should be the safest. No one can hurt me, right? I'm the king of the jungle, the lion. So when we're acting base level, and when you have a human who's acting mostly from their base level self, they are chasing power and they are all about safety and stability. And you can even hear it in their rhetoric, even in politics and stuff like that, right? They're taking over our, our world. You know, we, they're gonna take over their, you know, all of this stuff and we need to be powerful and we need to be strong. These are base level tendencies. I have it, you have it, we all have it, but base level individuals, safety, stability, searching for power. The problem with that is this, what happens 
when you do nothing but control power. Let's take that power example to the extreme. If you had true power, what would happen is you would eventually destroy yourself because there would be nothing left to be powerful over. And so it is a game that actually destroys self and destroys the world. It's the opposite of next level human, which is growing self and evolving the world. So when we are totally at base level, it is dog eat dog. It is me against you. I must survive. I must be powerful. Oh and my so gosh, that feels like, like modern day political discussions you're describing it? right there. Isn't it interesting? And Whew. by the way, yeah. what's interesting about this discussion is people operating mostly from their base level selves are very, very appealing to a lot of people. So are people who are operating for their next level selves. So it's really interesting in politics, you'll often find two types of leaders, the next level types and the base level types. The culture level human doesn't normally end up being a leader. Let's discuss that person in a minute. And when I say that person, it just means a human who is mostly operating from that. Of course, they have all three in them, but they're mostly operating from culture level. So base level is all about power, safety, and stability. Culture level is all about belonging. It is about status. It is about popularity and pleasure. Culture people want the popularity and pleasure drive and they want to belong. So they're looking for a team. So they're constantly uh, you know, in this place where they're playing team dynamics. It's funny, if you run into someone operating at their culture level and they're all by themselves, guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna acquiesce. They're gonna agree. They don't wanna ruffle feathers. But as soon as you get that culture level person around their team members, they can get very, very nasty, right? They start seeing, I'm better than you. I don't like that group. I like this group. So it's like, my game is best. My nation is best. We're better than you. My race is best. My sex is best. This is all about the culture level sort of dynamic. They're always trying to set up dichotomies between humans. And they tend to look at status and see hierarchies, right? So they see vertical hierarchies, like I'm higher up on the scale and more desirable and you're lower down. But they're also people pleasers. So when they're by themselves and they're without their team, they can seem very pleasant individuals and they'll be very agreeable, people pleasers, things like that. Get them on a team, though, they can get kind of nasty. And so this is the difference. Base level about power, culture level about popularity and pleasure. Next level about purpose. And so you can see very clearly that when we are operating from each of these, we can sort of see, hey, I know the different behaviors here. Base level is when I am going back into boundary heavy mode. And by the way, that can be useful, right? Even a next level human, part of that is knowing when it's okay to go base level. If you have somebody around you who is taking advantage, who is, quote, toxic or, um, creating issues for you. One of the things a next level human is very good at is setting up boundaries and saying, listen, you don't get to do that. So we can't mistake this. We tend to think, well, next level human must be kind and airy fairy and spiritual, right? Well, they tend to be all about the global community and team human, but that doesn't mean they don't have very strong boundaries at times. The but what makes a next level human a next level human is the evolution of these brains, right? So the lizard brain, the sort of uh, you know community brain uh, and the spiritual brain. They're integrating these things. They're all important aspects, but they know how to use them. So what's really interesting about being a next level human is you use power and popularity 
as um, driving forces for purpose. Whereas base level humans use only power and culture level humans use only power and popularity. Next level humans use those in service, power and popularity in service of purpose. And so hopefully this is starting to give you all a good idea about these different types. And it might be helpful just real quick to kind of go through a couple examples so you can recognize uh, how these people are. And I'll give you a couple examples from my life. If that's uh -huh. okay, Alex. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was thinking okay. examples would be great. And I'm like, how okay. do we do it by not offending anyone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Well, you know, it's, um, and, and by the way, it's, it's interesting because the first example I'll give you is uh, an example of a family member of mine, um, one of my, my mother's family members. And what's really interesting is this particular person, um, if you met them and they saw you as sort of beneath them, uh, they would be incredibly generous. You would be like, oh, surely this is a next level human. I mean, this person is, um, you know, incredibly generous and incredibly kind. But then you would see over and over again, one telltale sign. As soon as this person felt like you were, had more money than them or were getting more attention than them or were making more career moves than them, they started to undermine you and become um, very, very underhanded and would make underhanded comments to try to, uh, you know, take your status away and be very derogatory and be very manipulative. These would be the people sort of talking behind your back or outright trying to sabotage you. Mm -hmm. Do we not all know someone like this that oh, you run into goodness. them and, yeah. you know, you run into them and you're like, they're so sweet. Then you get to know them a little bit and you're just like, Ooh, maybe not. And then here's how you really start to drive it home. When you start hearing other people say the same thing, people's patterns tell you everything, right? And your own patterns tell you everything. So if it just happened once, then it's probably about them and not you. But if you keep running into the same pattern again and again, it's probably you. So you can pretty much guarantee a base level human when you start hearing people talk about them. In fact, gossip this was the whole point, the evolu evolutionary point of gossip. It's called the freeloader theory. And the freeloader theory of gossip says that people gossiped so that we could keep people in check. So let's say me and Alex and we live in a tribe and it, the tribe is noticing that Jade is sort of out there. And anytime we're attacked by the hyenas, Jade is like nowhere to be found. But whenever there's a big kill and we're all eating meat, Jade's taking bigger portions, right? And, uh, you know, he's, and he's, you know, not doing his chores and all this kind of stuff. Then Alex is going to go to her girlfriends and say, have you guys noticed that, am I missing something? Or is Jade like always missing and never around and, you know, never defends the tribe. And if everything works out okay, right? Because we have mirror neurons and we could pick up on how people are feeling. If everything works out okay, then I'm going to get the hint. And I'm going to start saying, okay, people are seeing me as a freeloader and I'm going to change my behavior. And if I don't, then the leaders of that tribe are going to step in and say, if you don't wise up, you're no longer a part of this tribe. And that is very dangerous for, for a, a lone human out on the plains. They're not going to last long. So gossip actually is a good indication. Now, of course, next level humans gossip in a very different way because they would say, listen, I don't want to talk bad. It's just one side of the story. But here's I noticed this. You know, what are your thoughts? And they usually will say it right to the person's face and just say, I've noticed this, what are your thoughts? But that's an interesting sort of uh, thing for base level humans. Uh, now for so a yeah. base level human will keep people in check by 
telling lots of people and trying to get the hints are quite indirectly, but a next level human will have the uncomfortable conversation head on more likely. No question about it. Yeah, a yeah. base level human is going to be very manipulative and use every opportunity to rise up the hierarchical ranks in their is, mind. Is that because it feels safer thinking about the lizard brain mm-hmm. to not confront? It feels safer not to confront, yes. And, and here's the interesting thing, though, about base level humans. Um, a base level human will definitely confront you if they see you already as weaker. Right. So as they rise, as they rise through the ranks, they will definitely go after the weaker people and brown nose and manipulate the upper people slowly but surely trying to find their way to the top. They're always chasing sort of this um, idea of power and so that they can feel the safest. They can feel stability. And the best way to feel safe and stable is to be the chief and call all the shots. Now, a culture level human is going to handle this a little differently because versus, you know, whereas a base level human is going to see themselves going at it alone, they're not going to trust anyone at all. They're not going to have a team. They're going to feel like I'm a loner. There's nobody that I trust and I will take advantage of anyone, including my best friend. A culture level human instead will form little pods and little groups and have loyalty to their particular group and and sometimes be incredibly loyal to that particular group, but at the expense of other groups. So you see the you see how the lizard brain is like, it's me and I'll eat any anyone and everything, no loyalty at all. And then the culture level brain is sort of like, it's me and my group and every other group is bad and we're going to we want our group to be the best. See what I mean? So see how that works. Next level looks at it the following way. They say, I want to be in a position where the people who are best suited to grow and evolve our tribe are the ones who are the leaders. In other words, a next level human has awareness around the idea that I'm not a great leader. What I am is a good medicine person, or I'm not a great medicine person. What I am is a good hunter. So they have this natural understanding of what they're good at, and they naturally want to play that role for people, right? It's sort of like that question. There's the, an interesting survey that was done as they look at people who are happy in their jobs. And they've done surveys like this where they'll ask all kinds of groups of people from you know, um, people who collect garbage to people who are orderlies and clean houses to people who are doctors and this and that. And the one thing that they notice that makes people happy is when the people see their job as being productive and useful for society. So someone who cleans the hospital or collects garbage, who sees themselves as cleaning the world and brightening up the world for others, falls in love with their work because they see it as very purposeful. But if you put a base level human in, in as a garbage collector or someone who cleans, they will look at it like, I need to do anything I can not to play this role. I need to exert power elsewhere. And these are the people who will go off and cheat and lie and steal and try to do anything they can not to play that role because they see it as less than. Whereas a next level human doesn't see themselves as next as less than. They see themselves as useful and they gladly do the work. It's a very different a sort of role. Of course, culture level people see the same thing. Certain jobs are good. Certain jobs are bad. Certain ethnicities are good. Certain ethnicities are bad. Certain nations are good. Certain nations are bad. So it's very team oriented. So hopefully mm-hmm. that's, that's helping you understand. And we can begin to, to um, decipher these humans. 
One, one, I'll give you another example of, you know, um, when I was a bartender, I used to bartend and bounce back in. Um, so you and I have some commonalities yeah, you were telling me before that you used to work in bars and stuff and yeah. dance clubs. So, so did I. And one of the things you could see that the um, sort of culture level humans uh, really take sort of shape here. I would, one night was a night where I was bartending and it was gay night, right? So it would be all the, all the homosexuals and gays and lesbians would come to, the, to a dance club. And it was incredibly fun, but you'd see a particular group of people and a particular type of behavior. And then the next night was hip hop night. And so Friday was gay night, and Saturday was hip hop night. And I remember watching these different uh, groups of people sort of come in and the different behaviors and um, ways that they would go about things. Now there was one particular bouncer and group of bouncers actually that I remember who were very much for both of these groups of people, the hip hop crowd and the gay and lesbian crowd treated them very different, uh, very different, almost as if they were undesirables and would purposely be rough on them, not letting certain people in and uh, you know, um, you know, just being very combative. And I remember thinking how it's really interesting. They aren't like this when another crowd is in here. They're not like this when the country music crowd is in here, for example, or just the regular rock and roll crowd is in here. In fact, because those people were their people. And this is another indication that you can see when someone treats a particular group a particular way and then treats another group another particular way this is a really interesting example of a culture level human like if you find out in the united states i'm republican or democrat a culture level person is going to cheat treat you very differently and just immediately go bad i'm good they're bad right i'm on the, the winning team there but also be very brown nosing or very people pleasing rather if their team's not around then they're going to try to get along Again, next level humans don't do this. What they say is that this is a human being who has something for me to learn. And I will see them as a human being. And I will also fight for their rights and their equality to have you know, the promise of what is America, which in my personal opinion, I don't think America is doing a very good job of you know, it, but life, liberty, and the pursuit, I would say the pursuit of fulfillment, but it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is what next level humans want. Not only do they want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all humans, but they want all humans to realize their full potential. And they don't feel um, in, um, in competition with them. They feel collaborative with them. And the, the new brain, the neocortex, when you look at anthropological and evolutionary data, we humans, we did not survive by survival of the fittest. This is a misnomer and the research suggests otherwise. We survived by being the friendliest. So it is survival of the friendliest, not survival of the fittest. And here's how we know. We are homo sapiens. We also have to remember there were other humanoids on the planet. There was homo habilis, homo neanderthalis, there was homo erectus. Well, guess what? None of them are around anymore. And it's not because we've looked at this. It's not because we had better language and better culture. If you go look at Neanderthals, they had an incredible culture. They had religion, they had paintings, they had all kinds of things. And they were actually, we think, much smarter than us, actually. They were smarter than Homo sapien. What Homo sapien had that none of these other groups had is they were collaborators. They were connectors. They did everything together, even to the point of bringing in some of these other tribes. So it's not that we took over and killed Neanderthals. We actually mated with them. We actually brought them into team human. 
So we are actually, our next level human cells when we're at our best is the reason that you and I, Alex, are having this conversation today. We are the ancestors of these survival of the friendliest people. And guess what? We're still doing battle with our base level brains and our culture level brains, uh, you know, sort of collectively. And it's on us, each of us listening, to take it upon ourselves to, to, to look at this and say, we need to move into a next level state of being and pull and drag these base level and culture level humans ahead. Because I would say, if I had to guess, it's just a guess hypothesis, but I would say 80% of humans are culture level humans. And then we've got 10% who are base level, I would say even 15% who are base level and 5% who are next level. But those 5% who are next level are so powerful in their ability to change the world that they drag everyone forward. And slowly but surely, I think there's an awakening happening. I think more and more people are becoming next level humans. The culture level are being dragged into the next level and the base level are being dragged into the culture level. But of course, as we evolve, you see wild swings. And it's my opinion that we've seen a wild swing back to base level here. And yeah. I'm hoping it's going to swing back. But mm. I've been talking a ton and I apologize. <laughs> sometimes I go on a rant. So no, that's okay. hopefully this is useful and interesting. I love a good Jade rant. I listen to them <laughs> often. It's good. Um, but, uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something then. And now I know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just rambling on. I feel so bad. Alex. I'm no, sorry. I'm totally distracted. <laughs> um, no, that's what I was going to say as I was listening to you. And I remember as a three and four year old at my preschool in Chicago, you know, um, reciting the good words of the forefathers. Um, uh, I, I feel like they would come in today and say, guys, this isn't what we meant. What the heck is going on here? This was the promise for everybody, no matter where you came from. And, you know, there was just, it was, it's the most beautiful promise. Um, and, and it's not being kept. And I, I think, and it's not just America. We're noticing these trends all over the world. And I think one of the issues um, without wanting to get too political at the same time is how complicated things have become uh, in the sense that I, I genuinely don't believe that money ruins everything, but money ruins some things. And I think money gets in the way of uh, a sense of justice and truth and vested interests in, you know, the fact that people can donate however much they want to any politician, these kinds of things, or you know, industries can have a seat at the table when deciding government policies. Uh, you know, you look at the food pyramid of the early 80s and how the veggies and the grains got switched up. Like there are so many examples of injustice that I feel like these things then um, send us a bit wayward from this next level state because we're like, do I try to go next level or do I hit the ground and fight for a bit? Like, where is the balance? And I feel like at the moment, a lot of people are searching for how to live next level lives, but at the same time, keeping a check on uh, what they see as wrong, whether things are wrong necessarily or not. You know, we're led down some primrose paths as well. Uh, and I'm sure we can talk about that too. But what are your thoughts on um, next level, culture level, base level, and the current state of play 
with so much money tied up in politics and uh, so so much injustice. I mean, this is why so many of us have become, uh, you know, um, holistic practitioners. This is why so many of us have moved into health coaching versus pursuing uh, allopathic medicine because sometimes you just feel like, well, no, the answer isn't no. I got better by following this other person's advice uh, who lost their license because they weren't allowed, you know, all this stuff is going on. So I understand why things get really murky and then some nasty people can come and influence the people who know things are murky. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And yeah. honestly, this is going to be such an interesting discussion. I'm actually glad I didn't know where you were going in this direction, but it's so perfect for today's time. And it's a good thing we have that lengthy discussion about base level, culture level, and next level humans. Here is something that's very, very clear. If you are a base level, power hungry individual, then what you think is that everyone is a base level, power hungry individual. And so base level humans will look out there in the world and they'll see someone like a Bill Gates, let's say, and they will only see Bill Gates in a negative light. They will say he's after power. He wants another billion dollars. He's trying to control everyone. And the reason they will see it that way is because that's how they would be given the same situation. This is a key distinction between a base level human and a next level human. A next level human, me, I don't understand for a minute why a billionaire would need another billion dollars. So when I look at someone like a Bill Gates, because I look at myself, I'm like, if I had a billion dollars, there's no way I would want another billion dollars. What, what am I going to do with another billion dollars? I'm going to go after purpose. And so for me, when I looked at when I look at Bill Gates, I see somebody who could be doing anything he wanted. He has all the money in the world. He can go buy his own island and just sit there and sip on my ties and have a, someone fan him down. Instead, he has taken it and made it his life's work to try to eradicate malaria and to try to eradicate um, smallpox. You know, finally, I think there's one other place. Or, or, or smallpox, I think, is gone, but uh, polio. Polio is what I'm thinking about. Uh, Afghanistan and a few other places, but polio has been wiped out largely through the work of the Bill Gates Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. This is the greatest philanthropist who've ever lived history of mankind. And when I see this, I go, he's not trying to do, and he's spending all his billions. He's not making billions off this stuff. He's spending all his billions to try to make the world a better place. Now, is he perfect? Absolutely not. No one is. We're dealing with all the time, us humans, with unknowables and changing information. And we're working in an imperfect world in a chasm between what is known and what is not known. But I do think we have to be very careful because next level humans won't see people as competition, greedy, all of this stuff. A next level human is going to see the general good of humanity. A base level human is going to look at everyone as potential evil. And then the culture level humans are going to be swayed either to the base level side or the next level side. And this is where the pendulum swings. And so if the base level types get very loud, the culture level uh, types will swing this way. If the next level types get loud and really uh, a working purpose, it will swing the other way as well. And so that's the first point I would make that when we talk about this idea of, you know, sort of money, money 
only brings out in my mind the level human you are currently operating at. Now, that doesn't mean there are not leaders. And by the way, I don't know. Perhaps I'm completely wrong about Bill Gates and he is a base level leader and maybe he is doing shady stuff. But this brings up the second point of what how a next level human looks at this. A next level human doesn't look out in the world and insinuate. Instead, they look out in the world and simply ask questions. There's a difference. There is a, next a level big human difference. Is, there's, big a, difference. A, there's a huge difference. A next level human is asking questions and always asking questions. Like for me, if I tend to be biased towards seeing the good sides of Bill Gates, then I must always look for data that there's per perhaps a bad side. So I'm always asking questions. I'm always saying, where is this money going? What is he doing? What, 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 is, what is happening here? And I'm just looking for data. I'm not looking to prove my opinion. I'm just looking for truth, right? So base level types are looking for to prove their opinion. They want to be right. Culture level types just want their team to be right. Next level humans want what's right. They want the truth. And so they're asking questions always, but they're very uh, keen not to insinuate. It's very much like innocent until proven guilty. We would not take someone who was said this is a murderer and just go ahead and convict them based on hearsay and conjecture and disinformation and all this kind of stuff. We would have them go into a court of law and we would present the evidence and we would say, this looks very much like this person is guilty. We have proof and proof is necessary before you throw that person away or you know, in prison or take away their freedom. It's the same here. Next level humans want proof. They're not saying that some of these conspiracy theories are impossible. What they're actually instead saying is, if you try to claim something true that you don't have proof for, you are the problem. If you spread disinformation that you don't know for sure, then you are the problem. You are stirring chaos. Instead, we need to let the information become available. An example, the, um, the cigarette companies back in the day, right? This is an example of a conspiracy theory, I guess, right? They wanted to sell their cigarettes. And so they were keeping the data from the public. And it took time. Not only did it take time, but it took enough next level humans asking questions. But wouldn't it have been terrible if all of a sudden we find out that the opposite was true, that actually cigarettes cured cancer. But during that time, we were so bent on proving that they were doing nefarious stuff that we missed this. And we have to remember, whereas we were right with cigarettes, perhaps, we're often wrong with other things. And so we have to be patient and diligent and search for truth instead of making assumptions. And I will, I'll share one of my biases with you. And by the way, as a next level human, we want to, um, you know, be, and by the way, no one's a next level human, but as we're trying to be a next level human, what we want to guard the most against is bias and dogma. These are the parents of ignorance and arrogance. And so we're always trying to not have bias and not have dogma. And in, in order to do that, what we need to do is step back and question not the beliefs of others, but question our own beliefs. And so when we're researching things out in the world to try to um, prove something, what we should be proving is our own ideas wrong. We, I shouldn't be looking at Alex and being like, ooh, I want to win. So I'm going to do everything I can to prove her wrong. 
or I want my team to win. So I'm going to do everything I can to prove they're right. People become blinded by bias and dogma. So as a next level human, what we want to do is search for the evidence. And the scientific process actually gives us, the Socratic method gives us the way to do this. What you do is you make a statement about what you believe. I believe Bill Gates is generally good and doing good for the world. And then I go, can I find examples where he is not? And if I can, then I amend my statement. And I say, I believe Bill Gates is good and generally doing good things in the world, but he did something bad here and I don't like it. And then maybe as I keep questioning and keep answering, maybe I eventually go, I don't know that Bill Gates is so good because he's done these things good, but he's done these things bad. And then maybe as I keep going, I go, you know what? The evidence has accumulated in my mind over the last couple of years that Bill Gates is a pretty crappy human or whatever, right? And this is how it should be done. How many people do this? Instead, they just rush to judgment. So they go, yeah, we should be afraid of this person or we should be this and that. And that is actually, in my mind, problematic. For example, I don't know if this is true, but we're in the COVID epidemic right now. Johnson and Johnson has a vaccine that's come out. So does Moderna and Pfizer and these other ones. Johnson and Johnson, I believe, and we and we need to go and check this. Whenever you hear someone say something, right? It's not to get jump down my throat. You go, oh, that's interesting what Jade said. Let me go see if I can prove him right or wrong. And let's go in different directions. But my understanding is Johnson and Johnson is not planning on trying to at all uh, make any profit off of their vaccine. They are essentially using all their resources just to break even, right? Because it costs money to make this vaccine to do all this stuff. So they are not trying to make profit. Isn't that an interesting dynamic here? And is it possible because that many next level humans are wanting to do the right thing and holding companies accountable that all of a sudden you're starting to see companies also do the right thing. And so we vote with our money. It's not just about being open-minded. It's also about realizing that who we support is actually who we are. And this I think is really, really important. So if you're gonna support someone, you really should understand who they are. The final thing I'll say here, and it is the quintessential aspect of app operating as a next level human, the ability to say, you know what? I was wrong. And the ability to say, you know what? I simply don't know. And the ability to say, guess what? I have no idea, but let's all go find out. This is the problem. A next level human is going to say, maybe, perhaps, I don't know. Um, it's mixed. They see the gray. Base level humans are all black and white. And so are culture level humans. And so this is how you begin to discern this. I'll give you one final example here. Let's say with vaccines, since you know we're talking about the vaccines and it's somewhat controversial. If you are really going to be a next level human as it pertains to vaccines, then you're going to want to go and research the general biochemistry, molecular, hist uh, molecular uh, chemistry of vaccines. You're going to want to do some history on vaccines. You're going to want to look where vaccines have been successful and ask yourself, how many people, estimation, have died from measles, mumps, and rubella before a vaccine came along? How many people have been harmed by measles, mumps, and rubella after the vaccines uh, sort of came along? And what is the evidence that vaccine companies are per perhaps holding things back or that the science 
is uh, not yet complete. All of those questions, instead of going like this, I know someone who knows someone whose kid was injured by a vaccine, therefore I'm anti-vaccine, or God forbid my own kid had a reaction close to a vaccine. You may not even know for sure the vaccine caused that, but now you're out there screaming and yelling about vaccines are bad. And by the way, perhaps there are downsides of vaccines. I can tell you as a clinician, there are downsides to vaccines in, in some people. But the idea that we can have uh, measles, mumps, and rubella, that before uh, vaccines came along, we had hundreds of thousands of people dying and being crippled from these diseases, including polio. And now we have, not perfect, but we get some people who are injured, a handful of people every year injured by vaccines. There's potentially a trade-off there. So this is a very complex uh, discussion. And the answer is in the gray. Are vaccines just safe across the board? I doubt it. And we have evidence. If you really can go look, you can find that there are reactions that can happen, anaphylaxis, things like that. But how many lives have they saved? And a next level human will be looking at both of these things. So for me, for me, um, you know, I go, I put, uh, you know, sort of freedom of speech and the ability to make our own decisions as humans as paramount. And so while I, while I know the vaccine science and I'm very pro-vaccine, as a matter of fact, if you had to ask me, you said, Jade, what is the single most important invention that saved more human lives than anything in the history of humankind? Guess what I would say? It's between antibiotics and vaccines. And at the same time, I still probably would not be for a vaccine mandate because I want Alex to have the freedom to, to be free and do what she wants. But I also want Alex, most importantly, and all of you, most importantly, to think in a way that is gray and question, but don't insinuate. Never try to point out someone's guilty before you have the proof. This is, in my mind, the best way and the only way. Mm. And I was, um, I was listening to someone explain how so many people can jump on a train that is not necessarily true and how people can come to believe things uh, and huge undercurrents of things. And the example was the landing on the moon being fake. And it was, uh, they've done some science on what generates a, um, uh, like uh, what holds water in a, in a lie. And it's the amount of people that would have to have lied to uphold the lie. And if the landing on the moon was a lie, then it would require 411,000 people to have upheld that lie. And it, it is impossible. Yeah. And the example that he gave was like, have you ever tried to organize a surprise party for a friend? <laughs> like that's maybe 15 30 people tops and you've organized a surprise party. Karen always knows she's walking into a surprise birthday party by the time the night comes around. Karen's mm -hmm. probably not the best name choice there, but anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? And I was like, yes. wow, that is, that is incredible. So imagine if say, for example, the coronavirus was a fake and was, you know, evilly distributed, uh, but via um, lab vial and everyone knows it. So literally every government and every hospital and every, like it's that you could never get that many people to, to maintain a lie. 
No, you couldn't. And here's the interesting thing as we talk about coronavirus and for all of us, because it is a really interesting discussion. The more of us, the more of us listening and having this discussion and um, the more nuanced and gray we can be, the more we can impact people for the better. But here's one thing I oftentimes as I talk about coronavirus a lot because, you know, it's it's my field in health and fitness and I've been doing a lot of lectures on it. And um, I oftentimes get asked, Jade, where do you think this thing started? And the truth is, this is, again, I go, we don't actually know. We have theories. Could have come from a bat. It could have come from a lab. Um, what we probably do know, though, that it wasn't intentionally released. But it could. We may find out that this was in a lab. And it. we know that it came from a bat. But it may have been in a lab and they were doing research on this. And it accidentally escaped. And, of course, that makes China look pretty bad. Um, if that happened, but that may happen. But the point here is this, we don't know. So, and once we make things up to say that we do know when no one knows, not even the people that have spent their entire lives getting PhDs and studying this stuff, they don't even know. And once we start claiming that we know without a shadow of a doubt, especially when it's not our expertise, in my mind, we are being immoral. It is immoral at worst, and it is incredibly, um, uh, you know, irresponsible at best. And one of the things we know about humans, and this goes to the base level humans as well, is, is a statement by, uh, um, that I often like. It's not my quote, but I like this statement. It says, the less a person knows, the more stubbornly they know it. And it speaks to a psychological principle called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which basically states that you have to have a pretty good understanding about a subject before you know you know nothing about that subject. Mm. Now, I have developed a pretty good understanding about metabolism. And it's funny because in my early years, I thought I had it figured out. I am more confused about metabolism today than I ever have been. And I know it better than ever. And this is the nature of knowledge. There's what we know we know, like I know I can drive a car. There's what we know we don't know, like I know I can't fly an airplane. But 99% of the information is what we don't know we don't know. And in that chasm of what we don't know we don't know, we make things up. And guess who is most likely to make things up when they get afraid? The, the same in. individuals who <laughs> are all about safety and security, mm. base level humans. Mm -hmm. And then guess who quickly falls in line? Culture level, Culture level humans. humans. Yeah. <laughs> and then you feel this whole topple effect. So our job is, if we want to be next level as teachers, to stay next level and simply say, calm down. We don't know. We will figure it out. It takes time. We will keep asking the questions without insinuating. We need to understand that information is emerging and we're all going to be wrong in some way, shape or form. And this is just the nature of knowledge. Mm. And this is what a next level human is comfortable in that space. A base level human is not. And so they will be usually the ones who are making a scene because they do not like to feel any kind of uncertainty or overwhelm. Mm. So interesting, isn't it? Because the base level human almost has a, a <laughs> another funny word to use, a mask on um, to, uh, to say that they are being brave and fearless in stating these claims or fighting for um, freedom 
uh, that is a lot oh of the discourse gosh. at the moment. Alex, okay, this, what you just so said is, is so powerful because listen to this. If you it, sorry to interrupt you, again, I know I'm but talking. That, at that then, based on your theory, is like mm-hmm. that. That's the scaredest person in the room at the same yes, time. Yes, it's such a beautiful. What you said is such a, a, a beautiful insight. The people online who are using the wake up sheeple and, you know, quit being so afraid and, you know, they're actually the ones normally, not always, but they're actually the ones who are most uh, susceptible to that. The language we use is almost always the emotional internal state we ourselves feel. And you just pointed that out and it's a beautiful insight. It's very sad. It actually makes me sad. It doesn't make me want to call people names and get angry at people, I'm constantly thinking, how do we create peace for these people? Mm -hmm. You create peace for these individuals by giving them a sense of certainty. And the way I look at it is one way to give a sense of certainty is to just convince individuals that there is no such thing as a sense of certainty. And that that in itself is a sense of certainty. In other words, yeah. there are two certainties only, in life, yeah, yeah. change and death. Mm. And that in a sense creates some comfort. Mm. So, so good. Ego versus ecosystem. I feel like this is a good time to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting. We talked about hierarchies, right? And hierarchies exist all over Uh, the animal kingdom. And certainly we humans are no strangers to hierarchies. And we tend to see hierarchies as vertical, at least um, base level humans tend to see hierarchies as vertical. In other words, they tend to see there's a top of the ladder and there's a lower rung of the ladder. And my job is to get to the top of the ladder so I can exert full power and allay my safety and security concerns. So they see it as some people are better than others. And they have no problem knocking people down off the ladder. So a base level human thinks their job is to climb that ladder, reach up, pull people down, and not necessarily help anyone up, right? That's the way they see things. So they see the life as a very vertical hierarchy. Now, culture level humans see things more as a horizontal hierarchy. So they know that we're all a little different. So maybe some people play football and some people play soccer and some people play badminton, right? There's all these different games and there's different groups of people playing games. But culture levels will take that horizontal hierarchy and then make a vertical hierarchy out of it. And they'll say, well, football is better than baseball. And I'm on the football team. So baseball is down here, right? It's almost like saying, another way to look at this is saying, I'm most important, right? That would be base level. The next way to say it is, my nation is most important. That's culture level. But then you get to next level. And they look at it as an ecosystem. So they take this horizontal hierarchy and this vertical sort of nature of things. And they essentially say, every single person playing in this horizontal hierarchy, every one of those games is required for the universe of games. The life would, life would not be able to be lived if there was just one game. We need all of these games to learn and to grow. They look at it as a very holistic, balanced place. So they essentially say that if you take the wolves out of an ecosystem, then the deer overpopulate, then the deer overeat, and then the other animals, rabbits, can't you know, graze, and then everything begins to fall apart. Or if you take an ecosystem where wolves have been removed and add them back in, they cull the, the deer, the, the, the grasses grow back, 
the bison return. The beavers, if you take the beavers away, they don't make the dams that make the watering holes. You so everything in the world is de dependent on something else. This is an ecosystem. And so the way a next level human sees it is that each human is a very important part of the ecosystem. We need teachers. If we don't have them, we can't have the doctors and engineers. And if we don't have the doctors and engineers, we can't heal the people. And if we can't heal the people, everyone gets sick. And on and on and on it goes. And so whereas base level humans think that if they just throw all the criminals in jail or they give all the money just to themselves, what ends up happening? Well, if, if they concentrate all the money, then you see the homeless population grow. The ecosystem becomes unbalanced. A next level human says we must take care of the ecosystem. Everybody needs to have their place and we must value every human's individual job and place in the ecosystem. And the best way to do that is to give everyone life, liberty, and the pursuit of fulfillment. And when we do that, we end up creating a thriving ecosystem. I depend on you, you depend on me. And I would say that this COVID epidemic is actually a beautiful example of this. As much as people wanna make the mask thing political, think about it. Masks are not for the wearer. They're mostly to protect the weak. And a next level human loves the idea of playing their part in that ecosystem. They go, I have a part to play. I will take responsibility for this part to play and I will do it gladly without need for reciprocation or acknowledgement. And then everyone survives. And then we don't have 500,000 people die in America or whatever it is now. We instead have you know, a few thousand because we all work together to keep the ecosystem healthy. So isn't it funny that a lot of people in the health and fitness community have uh, moved away from this when from my perspective, there are two things that need to happen to keep us healthy. One, we each need to keep our own bodies healthy. That is an argument. We have to do that. But then we also have to not just say, well, it's all going to be about the food. What if you break your legs? Remember back in the day when we didn't have hospitals and things like that? In the paleo times, if someone broke their leg, they could die. They may have been robust, but they broke their leg. Are you just going to let them die? Of course not. And so it's all about ecosystems. Ecosystem, not ecosystem, is what I say. And the, the, the vertical hierarchies and horizontal hierarchies are an ego play. It basically is all about the individual. Whereas the next level human sees it as an ecosystem. They are progressive globalists in a sense. And the reason why they are, by the way, is because they, they acknowledge that ecosystems evolve and we're moving, our ecosystem is moving towards globalism, whether we want to fight against it or not. So what are we gonna do? Battle our egos and do more destructive damage or play our role in the ecosystem and let it evolve. There is no way we are not moving towards a globalist economy and a global community. There's no way of fighting that. So why not just forget about the ego plays and the nations and all of this and essentially say, I will take care of myself, which will take care of my family, which will take care of my community, which will take care of my nation, which will take care of the world. And all I need to do is my part for both. I can integrate both. That is an ecosystem, uh, ecosystem rather, not mm. an ecosystem. 
I feel like we often uh, rile up at the end of each evolutionary phase or the end of each phase of life. I think of babies and around 18, 20 months old, they understand almost everything, but they can't talk and express themselves properly yet. So they whinge and they kick and they scream, they roll off the change table, they roll out of their pram, they piss you off and you're just like, oh, my God. And then it all comes when they start to be able to speak, things calm down again. And then there's the next phase of power and pushing boundaries as a two-and-a-half, nearly three-year-old and what can I get away with, what do I have to, um, you know, fall in line with? And I yeah, feel Alex, like you know that's a metaphor for a much bigger um, look at the phases of development of our world. Uh, yeah. As, in, yeah, in my book, Next Level Human. So it's so funny. You and I are always on sort of the same track with this stuff. I use uh, this exact analogy. I essentially say base level humans are like children. Now, a lot of people don't like this analogy because they go, well, children are innocent. But children, yes, they are. Children have wonderful things about them. But children also, the world centers around them. They are the center of the universe. No one else matters, just their needs. That's a base level human. Now, a culture level human is like an adolescent. It's all about fitting in and their team is better than everyone else, right? So, and, and, and here's the one thing that adolescents have that, uh, that is sort of a notorious adolescent trait. They can see everyone else's dysfunction except their own. They're masters at pointing out how dysfunctional you are. They just can't see their own. And then maturity into adulthood is the next level human. And one of my favorite uh, philosophers, Alain de Patton, has this saying that he says, the midlife crisis is the final throes of adolescence. And so <laughs> you can absolutely see that the base level human is yep. the child. The culture level human is the adolescent. And we all know that most of us live our entire lives as teenagers. 80 year olds, they, they die, they live their whole lives. They're 80. They're still teenagers, still pointing out other people's dysfunctions, or they're still children, still putting themselves first above everyone else. Unfortunately, too few of us make it to adulthood. The next level human is all about adulthood. And what adulthood does, I just bought a new puppy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, any, Who's any very gorgeous, by the way. Uh, yeah, she's absolutely wonderful. But one of the things she's teaching me right away is that life doesn't revolve around me anymore. And my needs don't matter only, her needs matter too. And so an adult starts to go, you know what? I'm not the only person on this planet. I'm not the only person in this family. I'm not that special. And yet at the same time, I'm incredibly special. It's this integration of like, I know I'm important, but I'm also not that special. And I will do what I need to raise my children, to help my family, to do the things that are required as an adult without anyone trying to say, oh, look how good you are, you're wonderful. Just because I can, I should, and I want to, right? That is a next level human and that is the adult construct. And so it's a beautiful way to kind of sum this up. We all know people, adults who are running around, you know, throwing uh, adult temper tantrums constantly. Those people are base level and culture level humans. A next level human does not whimper and whine or blame and complain. They take everything that happens to them and make something better out of it. They do not blame and complain. They are masters of ownership. They own what happened to them. They don't believe everything happens for a reason, by the way. They believe things happen and you make a reason. I will turn this into good. I will make 
you know, lemonade out of lemons. You know, we all know that mm -hmm. cliche. This is what a next level human is a master over. Yeah, love it. Uh, and as my gray area buddy uh, that I often chat with about all sorts of things um, that are going on because it's, you know, and we gravitate even towards the same news sources now. There's that fantastic new ground news um, on Instagram. Everyone can follow them. They show us our biases, uh, right, left, middle. They show you what media is covering what topics, where the blind spots are. And I think it is just such a fantastic tool now for keeping us all in check with our beliefs and allowing us to evolve our beliefs beyond what they currently are and keep bringing new information as it comes in uh, to evolve that belief into um, uh, something more, you know, as we, as we seek the truth uh, more. Um, but during, on, on the journey, on the path to, trying to form beliefs based on truth and facts. Um, we meet people we fundamentally disagree with. And uh, I want to know what you do um, when you experience that. We, we, we're actually chatting a little bit about one example just before we hit record. Um, when really at the end of the day, which is what you've been saying all along, do we ever really know for sure? Uh, some things, yes, but most things we're constantly evolving with the new information we receive. And so as we meet people along the way, we disagree with them. Do we have a right to disagree when no one knows for sure? Should we actually all just start with, well, we don't know for sure, but I'm finding this interesting, that interesting, and I've seen that source. Yeah, this is such a, a, an important point. And first, it starts with a belief. And the belief is this, that truth is impossible for me to know without you. And truth for you is impossible for you to know without me. And the more yous and me's we have, the closer we can get to truth. In other words, truth emerges from my reality colliding with your reality, colliding with other people's realities. And so if instead we close off the discussion, we close off ourselves from truth. And this is what has happened. And this is where ground news is so important. Bias and dogma are so devastating to us as humans, as individuals, and the human ecosystem, because it closes each of us off to truth. Truth emerges from a discussion about the reality I see versus the reality you see. And then we basically get to see how that reality that emerges between us, when you and I have a discussion, you might see it this way and I see it this way. But if all goes as planned and we're open-minded uh, next level humans who want to learn, and it's not about winning, it's about learning, then all of a sudden, our, each of our realities switch a little bit. Your reality, sometimes by the way, you might adopt 75% of my reality and me only 25% of yours, but other times it might be 50-50 or sometimes 60-30. And the more people you get in here, the more accurate it gets. This discussion turns into, oh, that's something I didn't see that this person over there sees. And all of a sudden your insights and possibilities begin to emerge and truth begins to become more of a more illuminated to us. That is impossible to happen without other people. In fact, if we have no one, guess what happens? If we get stuck in a dark room in prison, we all know these experiments where we, they take us completely away from other humans and stick us in a room by ourselves 
with no one else to discuss ideas with, we go insane. We need other people not to go insane. We need sane people to make us intelligent. We need groups of intelligent people discussing this without bias and dogma to give us wisdom. We need community wisdom to understand truth to the best of our ability. And so the first thing is, here is to realize there is no truth in me. Truth lies in me discussing my ideas with you. And the more yous I discuss it with, the better my ideas get. That's the first thing. The next thing is, is that once we have an idea, it needs to be proven in the real world. Truth has to have several things. It needs to be repeatable. It needs to be verifiable. And it needs to be repeatedly useful, right? Otherwise, it's not truth. And so all of a sudden, we go out there in the world and we say, okay, we kind of have an idea. Now let's, let's uh, put it into the ecosystem and see what it does with it. And if it's not verifiable, repeatable, and useful for us, then we have to discard it and adjust the truth. But, but, and it slowly marches forward, right? Truth never just emerges out of nowhere and like, this is the truth. Truth is always an evolving thing. And it stops evolving when the individual humans stop discussing their realities. And that is what has happened here. We have people who just go, I'm right, you're wrong. I've done all the research. Your research is garbage. I know I'm right. These are culture level humans. My team has done it. And these are base level humans dominating the conversation. And what they do is they, they evolve us backwards. And that's what is happening. So we need more people who are committed to saying, Alex, here's my reality. Here's the way I see it. How do you see it? And then you say, well, I see it this way. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even think about it that way. Well, now let's put it out there in the world and test it and verify. Let's see how it shows up. Here's an example since we're on the political thing. We've got capitalism, pure capitalism. Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? We've been bantering this around for centuries now. Communism, socialism, is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? We can see many, many different, these things were uh, you know, sort of ideas that were put out there. And then the ecosystem took them and did what they did with them. And under communist regimes and things like that, many, many people died. Under uh, capitalism, many, many people can, uh, you know, sort of be in positions where wealth accumulates in large or large amounts of wealth in a small, you know, segment of the population. Then you have other people that said, well, maybe communism and socialism isn't all bad. Maybe there's elements of that that are useful. Maybe capitalism isn't all good. Maybe there's elements of that that are not so useful. Let's take the best of socialism and discard the worst of capitalism and let's play with those two ideas. And then you get the democratic socialist countries like Denmark and Finland and Norway and some of these. And now they're under a grand experiment. And guess what? Right now, they seem to be doing best in pretty much all members, economically are all numbers, economically, health of their citizens, um, uh, sort of education, happiness, and this and that. Now, does that mean they're 100% right? Of course not. It evolves from there, but certainly we would be silly not to go, okay, they did this experiment. So maybe we should start adopting some of what is working with them. And guess what will happen? It's a rightful argument. Some people go, well, if you did that in the United States or Australia, it's not going to work here. 
Yes, but guess what? As soon as you put it there, it goes under another experiment and then perhaps something emerges better. Instead, what happens is we go communist bad, socialism bad, capitalist good, it's wonderful, right? This is, then we don't get to actually evolve and the ecosystem stays stagnant. And this is what has happened. If we want to evolve and get better, we have to continually collide ideas. This is why I am adamantly against cancel culture. I am adamantly against anything that stifles free speech. I am adamantly against anything that stops us humans from having the conversation. It is the thing that keeps us moving forward. So as far as I'm concerned, the left and the right politically have gone absolutely nuts. What we need is people who want to have the conversation, want to learn from each other and care only about two things, good ideas and good humans. I don't care where they come from. I don't care if they come from Mars, the Republican Party, left or right, good ideas and good people. And then we'll see just how good they are when they collide with the reality of the world. Mm, agree. And I think this is where the name calling really upsets me. Um, or even that we like uh, something we're hearing a lot right now is we have to eradicate white supremacists. Now, you're literally talking about eradicating humans when you say that. You, it's, you, you might not mean it, but you're saying that. Is the better thing to say not uh, we have to look at why these people seem to be so upset by all these other people. What is it that they think those people are going to take away from them? Where is the belief forming and how can we start? To, it's basically a de-radicalisation project, just as you would with anyone with um, thoughts that don't benefit greater society. And, uh, and I feel like the name-calling and the pigeonholing and the we have to acknowledge that there are real fears and real issues that people have um, to start to dismantle what's not useful to the greater good of society. Um, just like we have to eradicate all the lefty snowflakes. Like it's, it's happening everywhere. Um, and uh, and I, I find it really fascinating to live. It's hard as a, an empath and uh, a next level human hoper <laughs> um, to, to sometimes experience these intense dynamics of hatefulness and silos when I'm such a gray area person, um, uh, I, find, uh, I find it interesting to see how I might evolve in my own bravery and leadership to start having braver conversations. Um, it's been hard this past year, we've moved five times and I've written a book. Uh, so I've deliberately quite stayed back from public discourse um, because I just don't think it'd be useful. I can't put my head in it deep enough to make any useful assertions, but, um, but it's on my mind. Yeah. Constantly. It, it, the, the last thing we want to do um, is become th th this to me. These are two examples of base level humans. Right. So a white supremacist to me is a base level human culture level, human leaning base level. And someone who's talking about eradicating them and is also a base level human and a culture level human. And here's why what they have done is they see something they hate and they become the thing. And it reminds me of a quote, and I don't know who this quote is. It's not mine, but it's one of my favorites. The purpose of evil is not to hurt you. The purpose of evil is to make you do more evil. And so what happens is when a left-leaning person who's all about equality becomes so militant 
that they now want to harm the people who wanted to do harm, they have become the thing they hate. They have become evil and they have won. And so the way that you move around that is you realize that you allay fear. And the way you allay fear is have the conversation. And the way you have the conversation is you do it in two key ways. One, you love your fellow human. Two, you have very strong boundaries, not hateful boundaries, just strong boundaries. You do not let someone show up and harm other human beings. You but you have the conversation. You have to have this situation. And this worries me. The language is not violence. So when you start talking about microaggressions and all of this kind of stuff, to me, it becomes a very difficult thing because I go, okay, now you're equating language with violence. And if we can't say certain things, we can't learn certain things. And if we can't learn certain things, we can't develop an understanding about each other. And if we can't develop an understanding about each other, we can't evolve. So it's not about not having the conversation. It's about saying, this is not right. We will not tolerate it. We will continue to have the conversation, but there will be consequences for you if you harm your fellow human in any way. And we will not tolerate that. In other words, there is a way to do this without pointing the finger and saying, you can't say that. The point is this, it goes out into the world and we essentially say, okay, you want to say that? You want to do that? We're not going to fight you, but guess what? There is going to be consequences. We're going to see it, by the way. To me, I'm all for letting people have their freedom. I don't want anyone to mandate anything. I do not want, I would, I would fight for someone's right not to get a vaccine. But guess what's going to happen in the new world of COVID? Businesses are going to require you have a vaccine. Airlines are going to require that you have a vaccine. So you can do whatever you want to do. But there will be consequences on not doing the right thing. Because the fact remains, there is always going to be this tension between doing what I want and also what I want potentially harming other humans. I am a libertarian at heart. Do whatever it is you want. I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care about your sexual orientation. I don't care if you wanna do marijuana. I don't care if you wanna commit suicide. I don't care, it's your body, you do whatever you want. But as soon as what you do begins to potentially harm me, that becomes, or another human being, that becomes an area of discussion. And I don't know that I'm right or wrong about this, but I know this will be the area where the next level humans have to have the conversations. Mm. It is hugely important. Hugely important. And how, how much do you think uh, education and applied history is going to help us here? Because I feel like uh, ignoring history, ignoring the stories of the past and really uh, that really makes us ignore root cause of why things are the way they are today. And um, I'm very excited about your new uh, education secretary, by the way. Bye-bye to the DeVos era. I think that was incredibly harmful to American children um, and future adults. Um, but I, I feel like when you listen and learn from applied historians, if we really did listen and learn from history um, and laid everything bare, it would be so much easier to come together in our overlaps. Yeah, we can see it. I mean, like I know a lot of people don't like these comparisons, but if you are a student of history and it sounds like you are, and I am, although I'm a, 
I'm an ignorant student. I don't know much about it, but a lot of what is going on right now looks a lot like the late 20s, post-World War I uh, sort of time frame. And if we understand that, we start seeing the danger and we don't see you know, someone like a Donald Trump as just Donald Trump anymore. We start going, these kind of figures who have this base level dehumanizing language about their fellow humans, we've seen this before. We've seen this many times before, but most recently we saw it in World War II and it, it, it ended in disaster. And we humans are at a technological point in life now where we can't afford to have that again. And so we absolutely have to look towards our next level human selves and history and learn. I don't have a whole lot of hope that at least in the United States, we right now value that. And so for me, um, and this just speaks to a whole other thing. I'm one of these people that go, we may, we may take a big step backwards here. And as next level humans, our job in that case is still to do the good work, to still put our purpose out into the world, even if things get scary, even if things get destructive, even if things get deadly. We have to step forward, be the next level humans who teach the things because from you know the, the pendulum always swings. And that stuff, right, if, if the Greek philosophers and all of them had not been putting their work out there, we never would have come out of the dark ages. And so history certainly teaches us and it's on all of us to be brave, to be loving, to be wise, to put our bias and dogma aside and do our best to operate from our next level human selves. What a beautiful conclusion, Jade. I just couldn't have, like, I'm looking at the time. I'm thinking, oh, I've got another recording soon. Crap. I could talk, talk to Jade all day. But um, that really is a great note to finish on. And I think uh, it is a tricky time. And it's exactly why I wanted to have this discussion with you, because we are such gray area acceptors um, of, of the world, the state of play, always watching with very wide net before we bring it in. Um, for ourselves and for people that follow us. And, uh, and I think um, it's, it's tough out there. So please, if you're listening today, I hope this sort of made you feel a little more comforted by uncertainty. I, that would be my hope. Um, it's the only thing we can be certain of, right? Yeah. And I think it's to remember everyone listening and, you know, same with you, Alex, and for me too. You know, I expressed some ideas today that may or may not, you may or may not like and may or may not trigger you. And you, if I was listening to all of you on a podcast, I might feel the same way. We shouldn't be upset about that. What we should do is just take it and kind of say, well, Jade believes this. And guess what? I might be wrong and I may be mistaken. Um, or you might be wrong and you may be mistaken. But hopefully you can sit and listen to some of the ideas and discussions and go, you know what? I will consider that because I certainly will consider what you have to say. And in that, that's the general spirit of this. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's so true. Like, as you were talking about Bill Gates, I was like, but what about the synthetic beef? I've been, yep. I've been researching regenerative agriculture for three years now for mm -hmm. my book. And, uh, that and is you and I kind of talked about that. I'm a cellular yeah, agriculture did. advocate. And I want to yeah. have that discussion too, because in that discussion, Mm. there'll be a beautiful sort of, oh, I never saw it that way. So mm -hmm. it's a really yeah. just a beautiful discussion. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being who Me, you, you are too. and doing this work. Thank you, Jade. I'll talk to you soon. 
Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at LotoxLife or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at LotoxLife. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.